Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship is the English ministry of Korean World Mission Baptist Church, located in Richardson, Texas. We hold our Sunday services at 11 a.m. and have a time of fellowship and Bible study at 1 p.m. This sermon is from the 121st Psalm in the Book of the Psalms and was preached by Pastor Paul Hong on the week of December 15, 2019. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If you guys have your Bibles, uh, you can get one in the back. We have Pew Bibles, one of these Bibles. Uh, And turn to the Psalms. Uh, During this Advent series, we're actually just going through some of our favorite Psalms. And uh, turn to the 16th Psalm, Psalm 16. Oh, it's 11 verses. We're going to go through the whole thing. I'll give you guys a minute to go through or get to that Psalm. Psalm uh, 16. Uh, Psalm 16, it says this, starting in uh, verse 1. A mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy ones see corruption. You, have make, uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Well, um, so if there is one uh, theologian or uh, pastor that you were to ask me had the biggest influence on me as a Christian, especially as a young Christian, Uh, It would be uh, Pastor John Piper, if you guys know who John Piper is. Uh, John Piper, he uh, used to pastor a church out in uh, Minnesota, in Minneapolis, and he wrote this book called Desiring God, Um, and his ministry is called Desiring God Ministries, and I would recommend uh, all their resources to you, but uh, Desiring God uh, was a book that shaped sort of my framework, uh, theological framework, my worldview even, uh, because... Um, The way uh, John Piper looked at the world was that uh, for human beings, we all crave something. We all desire something. All of us have to deal with uh, wanting something. And then he realized that ultimately everyone in the end makes all their decisions based off of their desires. That everybody, uh, young, old, uh, happy, unhappy, they all make their decisions ultimately based off of their desires. So even people who uh, don't want, you might want to claim and or you might want to say that uh, people, uh, you've done things that you never wanted to do, that you have no desire of doing, but you did it anyway, right? Um, well, John Piper would say, well, you did it because there's something underneath that even that you desired even more. Maybe it was, maybe you have a part, or you worked a part-time job that you didn't like to do, right? You didn't want to, you know, flip burgers or whatever the case is, right? And yet you did it because you also desired money, you desire that, you know, minimum wage or whatever the case was, right? Ultimately, there was a desire under the desire. 
And so what John Piper did with Desiring God and uh, what he did for me was he helped me realize that underneath every desire is this ultimate desire. And, um, and he made me realize that sin, ultimately, is not desiring God above all other things. That ultimately, underneath every sin is that you do not desire God. And so because your desire for God is lacking, you go desire something else. And you try and fill yourself with something else. You try and satisfy yourself with something else. And his whole motto, desiring God's whole motto, is that God is most glorified in us. Right? Glorified as in worshipped. He's loved. He's followed uh, most in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us. He is most worshipped. He is seen as most glorious in us when we are most satisfied or content or happy in him, right? And so that's how, um, and that's how it shaped my entire worldview, my theology, and even sometimes, um, sometimes how I even read the Bible is how does God receive glory? How can I glorify God? And ultimately, it always comes down to the base value of do I desire God in this moment? In any decision I make, do I, am I doing this because I desire God or is it desiring something else other than God? And so what I'm hoping to do today with Psalm 16 is to help hopefully give you um, some sort of a framework maybe or a piece of a worldview that helps you see that finding satisfaction in God, uh, ultimately in his presence in our lives through Jesus Christ, that uh, we can live for him and we can uh, find pleasures that we've uh, always been seeking ultimately in our, in our hearts. So starting in verse 1, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Um, so this uh, psalm is what they call a miktam. And uh, ironically, nobody knows what a miktam really is. They just know it's a Hebrew word. It's right there. It says it's a miktam of David. Um, and so the authorship is obviously uh, given to David. But miktam, they think maybe it might be a musical term. It could be uh, something to do with, like, gold and riches. So this is like a, a golden psalm or something like that. But uh, there's a lot of debate, a lot of back and forth. And so nobody's really quite sure what a miktam is. But um, <clears throat> this miktam is attributed to David. And so David, he, his, he starts off with this prayer being a prayer of preservation. God, preserve me, oh God, for in you I take refuge, right? And it gives us the idea that maybe David, when he wrote this psalm, was in a time of maybe danger or distress. Uh, and he often found himself in times of danger and distress and in need of uh, physical protection and preservation. And so what he does in the very beginning of the psalm is that he prays for preservation and he confesses his dependence on God. He says, in the Lord, he finds refuge and safety. And then he also confesses that he has no good apart from the Lord. Everything good that he has, everything that he um, finds good in this world, uh, all comes from God. And he credits God for giving him those things, right? And then he continues, as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And so God, he's, he has, or I'm sorry, uh, David, he has this prayer for preservation, and then he, his mind jumps to the people that God has chosen for him, right? A holy nation, the holy ones of Israel, the saints, that's what a saint is, it's a holy one. And so he knows that the people of Israel are a chosen nation, right? But chosen by God to be his people. They're uh, meant to be and consecrated to be a kingdom of priests. 
And so David is saying that he has all his delight is in these saints and his people, the people that God has chosen him to be king over. And then it moves on to sort of a warning for the people, right? The sorrows of those committed to other gods or idols will multiply. So David, he, he commits in one way to the people of God, and then he also refuses to follow uh, the people of other gods. Uh, it's, it it kind of gives this picture of a, of a covenant marriage even. Uh, when Ann and I got married, uh, we stood up in front of a, a, a group of people, and our, our, uh, the person who was officiating our wedding asked myself, and it, both me and my, Anna um, asked us, uh, do you take this person to be your lawfully wedded husband and wife, and uh, you know, for, in sickness and in health, you know, till death do you part? And both of us said, I do, right? And in saying that to each other, in committing to each other, saying, I do, we're also saying, we also do not commit to all these other people. So for, my, for me, I say no to every other woman to be wedded to them, to be, you know, in sickness and health, to take care of them. I say no to them and yes to her and her alone. And she does the same for me as a husband, as her husband. She's saying yes to me and no to every other man that might approach her, Right? So this is in this, uh, almost the same way as David is refusing by committing to God. He's also decommitting or, or refusing and rejecting other gods that other people follow. And he does so because in, in, it seems that David, in light of what he has confessed earlier in verses 1 and 2, is saying that those who run after other gods are those who the Lord does not preserve. Because ultimately that's what this uh, Psalm is, uh, uh, is pursuing, is preservation, right? The, preser- the preservation of his life. And so he's committing to the Lord and his saints, and he says that in his saints he has all his delight. And then in verse 5 he says, The Lord is my por- uh, chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So not only is this delight in God's people, but in the Lord himself, right? He's satisfied in the portion that God has given him. The Lord is his portion and his cup. And it says the Lord holds his lot and the lines have fallen for him in pleasant places, a beautiful inheritance. Um, if you don't know what those mean, those are all references to the inheritance of land. Uh, the, Israelite, the promised land of Israel uh, was the land promised by God to give to these people, his chosen people. But David says the Lord is, the Lord, specifically the Lord is his portion and cup, right? So like the Levite priests in the Old Testament who did not receive a land inheritance like the other tribes of Israel did. So there were all these other tribes of Israel and God gave them a certain land uh, in their, uh, for their inheritance. To the Levitical priests, these guys are like the worship leaders of the Old Testament. Um, he didn't give them a land portion. Instead, he said this in Deuteronomy 18. It says, they shall, they being the uh, Levite priests, they shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. And so everything he has is from the Lord and in the Lord, and in the Lord David is satisfied, right? He has his portion. And this is interesting because, again, God, uh, Yahweh the Lord, he is uh, carving out for himself, choosing out for himself, forming a kingdom of priests, and so it's significant that this, these, this tribe of Levite priests would not receive a land inheritance, but rather their portion would be with the Lord. Because ultimately, even us, we are a kingdom of priests. Ultimately, that is what we're, God is trying to help us to become. And so our inheritance is not things, land, 
materials, but rather our inheritance, our portion, is the Lord. And in that, we should be satisfied. And so David is thanking God for the people. He's thanking God for the things that God has given him and provided him with. Uh, it is inheritance. And he's thanking God for God, for being in his life. And he continues that, that thankfulness towards God. In verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So there's praise, right, overflowing from David for, his, for God's presence in his life. And where does God's presence come from, right? David says, blessing the Lord, David is blessing the Lord for his counsel through his word. And he meditates even at night on the things that God has given, given him counsel about. And then not only that, it says that I have set the Lord always before me, meaning there's an intentionality to always be in the presence of God and to always have God near him in his word. And it leads to a confidence of uh, in, in navigating the life that's before him and the situation that's at hand before him. He says, I shall not be shaken. That is a, a moment of confidence. And so in the context of the psalm where David is praying to the Lord for preservation, we can take this to mean that the word of the Lord, this counsel of the Lord came to David in some way and gave him counsel on what to do in a situation that would help him to overcome whatever adversity had come his way. Uh, we he would think about the wisdom of the Lord and would gain confidence uh, through that word. And then through that word, he would not be shaken. And I hope this sounds a bit familiar to you, for those of you who were here last week. I know a lot of you guys were gone. Uh, but last week, in Psalm 1, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right? He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but in the counsel of the Lord, right? And then verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Right? He, in the night, also my heart instructs me. That's what this Psalm 16 says. And what does it say about this blessed man? He says, he is like a tree. David is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Because again, he is meditating on the word of the Lord. And in doing so, he is in the presence of the Lord. The connection there is something that we have to do, we have to make, is knowing that in his word is God's presence. So for those of you who are struggling to be in the presence of God and feeling empty or alone because you think God is not there or you don't feel filled, whatever the case is, I would wonder how your scripture reading is like. If you have that question or if you're dealing with that, do you go to God's word? Do you find food there? Does he nourish you in his word? If you're looking for his presence, you only need to open this up and then start listening. Not taking this as a book of just inspirational sayings to make you feel better, but to be in the presence of God. That's what this book is ultimately about. And then the end of the psalm, starting in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my cup, my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God show, reveals the path to his pleasure, right? Uh, and it almost, the psalmist like culminates and it, it builds up to this idea that his heart is glad, his whole being rejoices because he has confidence that ultimately the thing that he's praying for, for preservation, will come true. 
right? That God will ultimately protect him in this dire circumstance. Not only will he uh, be kept from Sheol, which back in the day was one to, is sometimes considered as uh, like a grave, like a pit, but also can be considered just being uh, outside of the presence of God. And so he will be kept from Sheol, as in he will not be shunned away from God's presence. He'll never be separated from God's presence. But not only that, but even his body, his flesh, will not see corruption. And that word corruption can also be translated as decay or like pit, as in being dug and put in a grave and then letting your body rot underground. So he's saying, in this moment, in this dire circumstance where I'm fearing for my life, God will preserve me. I will not die. My flesh will not see decay or corruption. And then this path of life is, is the path of uh, covenant relationship with God, right? Uh, we walk uh, in knowing God's commandments through his word, the things that he's provided for us. And, and so for him, the path, and that's the path of life, for us to live the life, the eternal life that God has promised us in Jesus is to follow Jesus, is to know his commandments, to experience eternal life. We actually talked about this in 1 John, right? To experience eternal life is to obey God, to obey his commandments, and to obey his commandments, you need to know what they are. And to know what they are, you have to be in his presence. You have to read his word. And so this results in trust, for, trust in God for his life, that he will not fall away into the pit, away from God's presence, and that ultimately he has hope for the future, right? Pleasures at the Lord's right hand provides hope for the future. And uh, an ever-growing joy and uh, exhilaration comes from knowing and looking towards the future where their pleasures are, of God are offered to David. And so in the midst of all this, we're reading the psalm, and we're looking at this as a, a demonstration of a, a prayer of preservation, and ultimately this is a psalm of confidence, right? This is a psalm of confidence, having confidence in God's presence. And this is what we can learn. We can have confidence of God's presence in our lives because of Jesus, we can have confidence of God's presence in our lives because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we know that we can be satisfied in the presence of God. Now, you might think, okay, how did this psalm, just talking about uh, David, when David is uh, writing this and he's in a uh, terrible circumstance, he's fearing for his life, he's praying to God for preservation, and he's growing in confidence that God will actually pull through, right? How do we get from David to Jesus? How do we make that connection? If you guys have been reading the Old Testament at all, and we, you know, we were just in the book of Genesis, um, we make it a point here at Zoe Fellowship to make sure that the gospel is preached. But sometimes when we're looking in uh, Old Testament text, we don't see the gospel. Not an explicit mention of Jesus' name in all of the Old Testament. And so we, as Christians, and through the Holy Spirit's guidance as we read his word, we have to make the connection. Like, we have to see how it's done. And so in Genesis, we were able to see, for example, we were, show, we were looking at the, the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, right? The first good news, the promise that the, the seed or the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so in that, we see that, right? We can see Jesus in that. It's a little easier there. And, we see, and it helps because there's a New Testament reference as well. But some stuff, some things are a little more difficult, right? Now, fortunately, Psalm 16 is not one of the more difficult ones. Okay, Psalm 16 is actually used in the New Testament, and it'll help us give us an interpretive lens of how we should be reading this psalm and applying it to our lives. And so Acts chapter 2, and this is, uh, this is actually, Psalm 16 is actually mentioned a few times in the New Testament, but namely in Acts chapter 2, we see this, okay? This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Uh, if you guys remember that, we actually men uh, mentioned this portion in, um, 
in, the, in Genesis uh, 9? Tower of Babel, anyway, <laughs> right? And so uh, the Holy Spirit co- comes upon the disciples after Jesus ascends into heaven. They start speaking in tongues, all the people in Jerusalem. They're all from all over the world, and they're coming into Jerusalem to, to the temple to worship. Uh, and they all start speaking about the mighty works of God in their, in their native tongues, and they can understand them. They're confused, right? And so it shows the Holy Spirit has been poured out. He's finally come, just as Jesus has promised. And then Peter, in the midst of those people, he stands up, and he begins a sermon. And he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. You can turn there if you want. Uh, it's not up there, but I'm going to read Acts uh, chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did, did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he says this in verse 25. For David, King David, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Okay, and that's Peter using Psalm 16 there, okay? And so this is what he says, verse 29. Brothers, and this is Peter, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And what Peter is saying there is this. David saw corruption. His flesh saw corruption. So how is David claiming that uh, his Holy One would not see corruption? Because David was referring, or we thought, was referring to himself. David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, he's talking about David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of David's descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Okay. So here's this connection, right? Because of Peter's insight in this psalm and how he interprets it and uses it, we can now read this psalm to mean something more than what is kind of just on the surface when we read the psalm originally, right? On the surface, this psalm is a psalm of confidence in the Lord, knowing that God preserves those who faithfully pursues his presence, okay? This psalm is one of confidence in the Lord, knowing that God preserves those who faithfully pursues his presence. And so we know that it does not mean anything less than that, but it does mean something more, right? The meaning is elevated when we think of this psalm being a prophetic psalm, showing us the mind of Christ as he faces adversity, namely his persecution, suffering, and his crucifixion, and ultimately leading to his resurrection, as Peter indicates. And so let's read through this psalm again, right, and think about what it would mean. So preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying to the Lord to take the cup of suffering away from him, right? Asking for another way. But then what does Jesus say in the end, ultimately? He says, not my will, 
but your will be done. This is confidence in the goodness of God, right? To know that even though suffering, like horrible suffering and injustice may come and temptation may be strong and fear might be so crippling that you're sweating drops of blood, to know that, to know God's goodness, God is good and we have no good apart from God. That is the sort of faith that we need to get through the day. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. I love thinking about this because um, it shows, number one, God's commitment to his people, right? Through Christ, not only that, that he actually delights in his people, in us. And how do we know that? So because, uh, because those of us, who are saints in the Lord, right? We follow Jesus. We are committed to his cause, his kingdom. Uh, we are Christ's body. That's how the Bible describes us as, a, as Christians, as the church. He describes us as Christ's body. And the Apostle Paul likes to use this phrase a lot to describe the church and the benefits uh, we receive by faith. He keeps saying things like, Christians are in Christ, right? We are in Christ. So in Christ, we are a new creation, we are made alive in Christ. And then in Christ, we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so, and it is because of this fact that we are in Christ that we can know and have confidence that God delights in us. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan at the beginning of his ministry, if you guys remember that scene in the beginning of the Gospels, if you don't, you should read it. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and a voice from heaven it uh, comes from heaven, and it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the connection here is this, that the father showing his approval and love and pleasure of his son Jesus, right? And that approval and that love and that pleasure is something that we are to enjoy because we are in Christ. We are in, his, we are in the son. And so being in the son under the umbrella of his love God the Father shows his approval on us because we are in Christ, not separated from Christ, right? So because apart from, apart from him, we are nothing, right? We have no good apart from him. But because we are in Christ, we receive all the benefits that the Father gives Christ his own son. And knowing this should transform our lives. This, uh, to know this, that we are delighted in, Right? And loved by God our Father should make us turn from other gods that we run after and make sacrifices to. Right, The gods of uh, reputation, our jobs, our families, our friends, our futures, our money, security, all of these idols need to be toppled over at the feet of Jesus. Why? Why and how? Right? What, what changes when we know this, when we know that we are loved by the Father? What changes when we know that God loves us and delights in us? This is, this is the result, okay, when we know that. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in beautiful places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So that change, we are able to say that with total truth, right? When we change, we can say that the Lord, the things he has promised, the beautiful inheritance that we have in Christ, he is enough. We are able to say that. Christ is enough for me, right? The Apostle Paul found it. He was the most devout, faithful, 
Jewish Pharisee that maybe ever lived, at least he claimed it for himself. He's a self-proclaimed super Jewish person. (laughs) On all the things that he had gained, right, through the Torah, the law, the prophets, the writings, everything he had learned, all the reputation he had gained as a a zealous uh, religious man uh, following the, the footsteps of his fathers and his ancestors before him, He's, he lists out all, the thing, all those things, and then he says this in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, value, treasure of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so we can amen this when we know that, when we know that in Christ we are loved and delighted in by God our Father. When we know that God is satisfied right, in looking at his son and seeing, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. When we know that that is also being said to us because we are in Christ, I would hope that that would transform your lives and you would be able to say, the Lord is my portion and my cup. And then verse 7 to the end, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so Peter, quoting these verses in uh, said in Acts chapter 2 that David's body, it does see corruption, right? It is rotting in the grave. And so this psalm was not about David, though David may have thought it was about David. But Peter was saying that David was talking about Christ. And maybe David didn't know he was talking about Christ. In his resurrection, Christ's body is raised. It does not see decay and corruption just like is prophesied in, that, in this psalm. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of the fa- Father, Right where there are pleasures forevermore. In his presence where he once was, where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's where Christ is now. Ultimately, this psalm is a psalm of confidence. To David, this psalm was a psalm that helped him remember the safety he could find in the Lord as he remained faithful to him. But for us, while we can do that too, while it does help us to do that as it did David, this is ultimately a psalm that allows us to know that as Christ suffered, and was persecuted and eventually died, he rose again and he ascended into heaven, which allows us to know that death and suffering and darkness is not the final word in our lives. That Christ overcame the suffering, the shame, the humiliation of a criminal's death, naked and beaten and scorned, abandoned by his friends, alone on a wooden cross. But death could not hold him down. The Lord would not allow his Holy One, his only Son, Jesus, to see corruption not in his flesh, and not even in his heart. Jesus never craved, uh, caved into any other temptation. He never followed after other gods. He never ran after other gods or idols. He remained faithful. He was not shaken. But we have. We have to confess that. We have to admit that. We have. We will run after other gods. We do run after other gods. Our bodies, when we die, they will see corruption. Our bodies will rot like all bodies do. But for those of us who are in Christ, we will be made new in Christ with bodies that will not see corruption again. We will never falter or shake again. We have hope of a new life because he has made known to us the path of life. 
In God's presence, there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are, are, are pleasures forevermore. We can worship him in confidence though any, uh, through any and all suffering and pain and um, saying that Christ is enough. We are satisfied in you, Jesus. We can say that with bold confidence, that you are my portion and my cup. And we can say, indeed, I count everything as loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus for uh, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what this psalm is ultimately about, that we can have total confidence in God's presence, and being in God's presence will fill us, will sustain us, and we can be totally satisfied in him. Let me pray for us.